Hey, this is Scott Petrak, and welcome back to another episode of the Brown Zone Zone Coverage Podcast. I got to watch another OTAs practice on Wednesday, and the Browns have minicamp next week, and there's a ton to discuss about the Cleveland Browns. Back to do that with me is good buddy Dave Chodowski of the WKYC Morning News. How are you, Dave? Scott, I am well. Thanks for uh, letting me come back on with you again. And <laughs> I got to tell you, you said, hey, can you do a podcast this week? And I'm like, yeah, I, I can do that. I mean, there's always something to talk about with the Browns. But then as I started diving in with, you know, what was going on with the Browns, I'm like, unbelievable June. And like, there is a boatload of stuff to talk about with this team. It is incredible with what's going on right now. And I think the number one thing to start with, I think we just get this out of the way and, you know, we've talked so many times about one thing that I loved about the Browns season last year was they were pretty much drama free. And that was a big reason I think for their success is, you know, they're changing the culture in Berea. Unfortunately, we hit a road bump this week and I think we just get that out of the way right away. I don't think this is something that can derail the train, but it's still never good when you have drama, especially in an instance like this with Callie Bronson. Can you just bring everyone up to speed about what's going on there? Yeah, she got a uh, OBI charge. The incident was May 27th in Brunswick. She was close to her home, um, got pulled over for going 55 and a 35 on Pearl Road, um, failed the field sobriety tests, according to the police report, um, and then pleaded no contest on Tuesday, so it becomes a guilty conviction. Um, she had a fine. Uh, she has to go to a three-day program. I think her license was suspended. From a Browns perspective, uh, you know, she's Kevin Stefanski. She's his right-hand person, and she runs everything. She gets keeps the trains on the tracks. She wants to be a coach. He's trying to groom her to be a coach, develop her to be a coach. And she worked with the receivers some last year. Then she took over a tight ends coach for the Jacksonville game when Drew Petzing, the uh, tight ends coach, was out because his wife had the first baby. This year, Callie was going to take another step and help Stump Mitchell coach the running backs. And as far as I know, she's still going to do that. Um, but so, you know, she's kind of like a bright light in this emerging star within the organization, one of the few women in a coaching type position in the NFL. And the Browns suspended her because of the incident. They consulted with the league. The league will not have its own discipline, but they are kind of helping the Browns decide what the discipline will be for Cali. Um, and now it's just a matter of how long she's suspended. And I was told the suspension started right after the incident. So now we're a couple of weeks in to the suspension. She's not been on the field for the last two weeks of OTAs. Um, and when I checked with somebody yesterday, they didn't know when the suspension would end. So I don't know if she'll be back from minicamp next week. I don't know if it'll drag into the break and then she'll be back for, I would assume, training camp. Um, but, you know, it's not a good look. Obviously, it's dangerous to be drinking and driving her blood alcohol. I want to say was 0.215 according to the police report. And that's, that's double, right? It's more than double, right? I mean, it's 0.08. Um, you know, so it, it's just, a, it's a bad situation. I think Kevin Stefanski really appreciates what Kelly does, wants her around. Um, he was definitive yesterday when he was asked if she would lose her job and he said, no, 
Um, and he almost, to me, almost not bristled at the question, but like it wasn't even an issue for him. So unless that changes, he's going to be back. Um, you know, it, it's just, it's obviously not a good look. It's tough for her. She shut down her Twitter account. If you watch the dash cam video, uh, which you can watch, it's on brownzone.com with the story we wrote about her. Um, you know, she looks, she tells the police officer, this could be that this is going to be detrimental to my career. Or this could be detrimental to my career. I could lose my job. And he's like, yeah, well, I have my job to do. And I don't, it's a serious concern of mine that you're driving. So, um, you know, you see those kind of human emotions. Like she's almost watching her career get away. Now, hopefully that doesn't happen. Um, I've talked to Callie. I really enjoyed the discussion. I think she's got a great story. So hopefully this is a one-off thing and she's able to recover from this. Yeah, no doubt. I think you said it well. Definitely not a good look. Do you think, do you agree with me though, with my first thought of, while yes, this is a terrible thing in the end, how will this affect the Browns on the field? Does it affect them much? Do you think? Cause I, I think, you know, that's what a lot of people unfortunately might go to right away. Sure. Hey, does this affect the team at all? Yeah, I, I don't think it does. Um, you know, I, I think, yeah, if you're the Kevin Stefanski in the organization, you have to make sure you're showing the right discipline. And I think by quickly suspending um, Callie Brownson, that, that shows that we're not going to accept this type of behavior. You know, if, if they try to sweep it out of the rug and she wasn't disciplined at all, then maybe that trickles down to some players like, Hey, we can do whatever we want. Um, but I don't think that's the case here. And, you know, I don't think this happening, especially at this time of the year um, will have any kind of impact. All right, let's move on to OTAs. You got to watch another practice yesterday as the Browns were in Berea. But what's interesting is it's kind of like, you got two different uh, OTAs going on. You got one in Berea and one in Texas, right? Yeah, Baker, uh, Baker Mayfield, Odell Beckham Jr., Jarvis Landry, Rashard Higgins, Donovan Peoples-Jones, and David Njoku for sure are down in Austin. And, you know, you, you're scouring – or I'm scouring social media to try to come up with – see who's there, see what they're doing. And there's not a lot out there, so I think the players are kind of being careful – about how much they're putting out there probably because there's going to be video that they release at some point. Cause in a couple of the shots, you can see somebody with a camera. Um, but you can see those guys are in Austin. Um, they were on the practice field. They were also hanging out like on the lake and doing fun stuff. Um, you know, we've talked about it. <clears throat> the offense, obviously most of the offensive guys have not showed up in Berea, but they're still getting work done, right? They had some most, a good number of the same guys I just mentioned without Odell were also in Florida in April and Baker threw to the, threw to the guys. Then he's strong two of them. Now, you know, I, I think they're staying in enough communication. They're doing enough work to make up for not being in Berea the last couple of weeks. Um, so I, I think that's good. I think it's, I think it's probably, I don't know if necessary, but, you see a lot of quarterbacks do this, right? We saw Tom Brady do it last year when he went to Tampa and get guys on the field. Um, it's become kind of a tradition for a lot of quarterbacks to do it in the down times of the offseason. I think there's a chance that Baker could get the guys together again between the end of minicamp and training camp if he feels like it's necessary. Uh, but it's good to see Odell, right? We haven't seen Odell, and not, not that I've seen him 
do much with Baker on these videos, but it's good to see him back with the guys because it's been a long time since um, since Baker, since Odell's been on the field with Baker, right? I mean, it was whatever, week seven last year. So it's good for those guys to get back, to get back talking, to throw a little bit. Um, and then you have the kind of parallel track in Berea with a good chunk of the defense. You know, there's some guys in and out of the OTAs. Um, Miles Garrett was not there yesterday when we were there. Um, Malik Jackson and Andrew Billings weren't there. Um, but John Johnson, the third, the safety was on the field for the first time that I've seen him since he signed that big free agent contract. Same with Nickelback, Troy Hill. Um, so you have guys, you know, working here and working there and building up to mini camp, which you know, I don't think mini camp is going to be anything too strenuous because it's the first time the whole team will be together um, next week. But that sets kind of the foundation for training camp, which we'll get to in late July. So it's just to put an end to this, it's basically, and I know they were trying to all stick together as one, but really when you think about it, we heard for a while that all of this would be done over virtual and zoom right. but in the end pretty much almost everyone's been on the field not everybody but pretty much yeah i, I think i counted 58 guys on the field not yesterday the um and then there's another handful of guys that were there the week before so you know let's say you're around 65 of 90 guys um you know most of the guys that are missing or most of the guys are missing are big names though right it's the starting offense it's Jadavian Clowney um, I have not seen Tack McKinley, the other defensive end, sign in free agency. Um, I haven't seen him out there yet. So it, it's some bigger names. Um, I, I don't know if it was naive of J.C. Treader to think that um, guys wouldn't show up, right? Because, you know, guys are fighting for jobs. And if you're, if you're not a big-name player, you want to be in front of your coaches and you want them to see you working hard. And I think that's just the reality of things. Um, JC, I believe is going to be on a NFLPA zoom call later this afternoon. We're taping this on Thursday. Um, so I, I'm interested to hear his take. If he, if he thinks the, you know, and he, boycott's not the right word, but if he thinks the, all those letters saying we're going to skip, if he thinks they had the effect that he wanted, which was a change in the offseason program and less time on the field and less contact on the field, which I believe across the league that has been implemented. Players have met with coaches and they've kind of come to terms with, okay, this is how we think it's safe to practice. Um, I'm just curious to see if JC views it as a success, or I think we could have drawn a kind of like a harder line in the sand and made teams reconsider even having these voluntary offseason workouts. Um, which I believe was the goal, at least that was a stated goal, and it hasn't gotten there because, like you mentioned, Dave, we see a lot of players in Berea. We've seen a lot of players on the field across the league. Yeah, that's some great insight, Scott. Uh, well said there, especially at the end, because what you just said I, is kind of what I was thinking, what probably a lot of people are thinking. So I think we can put all of that to bed. Let's really yeah. break down what you saw in Berea, and uh, let's start with uh, Greedy. Yeah, it was good to see him out there, right? Coach uh, Kevin Stefanski said it was nice to see number 26 out there. And it was because 
you know, the last time I saw him was August 24th uh, when he walked off the field. And at the time, he didn't think it was a big deal. He didn't think it was a big deal. He dinged his shoulder. He felt, you know, he thought it was a stinger. Winds up being nerve damage in the shoulder. The muscles won't fire. And he misses all season. So now he's back. And, you know, he looks good. He looked good. He was on there, I think, for all the practice. Like Grant Delpit, and we'll talk about him a little bit, but he was also out there. But I didn't see him do any team drills. But I saw Greedy Williams. He lined up as your starting corner. He's out there. He did individual drills. So to me, it was a full practice for Greedy. Now, they didn't hit, right? And you're not supposed to hit at this time of the year. And that's the next hurdle is, okay, I'm running. I'm in shape. I'm back. I can move my shoulder. But can it stand up to the hitting? Is it strong enough? And Greedy said he still needs to get there. He still needs to feel like himself and trust it. And, you know, I think that probably only comes when you get to training camp. Now, he'll hit sleds and they'll test it. I mean, you know, they have big-time medical people. But I do think the final thing that – whether or not it's from a medical standpoint or even a psychological standpoint for Greedy is when they do full tackling, whether it's practice or preseason, that he's not afraid to put that shoulder in there, that he can make a tackle and then get up and his shoulder feels okay. Um, And the Browns believe that's the case. They expect him – the goal is to be 100% when training camp starts. Uh, but that seems to me the last, you know, the last hurdle, the last obstacle to clear for Greedy. And, you know, it feels like a relatively big one because you need to be able to tackle and hit at that position in this league. But just to see him out there, um, I, I think was, you know, it was beneficial. I think it was, not, it was great for him. You know, you could see the excitement out of him when we talked to Greedy afterward. And then the other thing with him is it, it's a new situation. Right. Last year, the job was his. The starting job was his. And, you know, he was a second round pick in 2019. You expected him to make a jump in year two because he was fine as a rookie, but I didn't think he was good or great in, as a rookie. You know, he started 12 games, missed four with a hamstring injury, no interceptions, only a couple of passes defense. Wasn't really a playmaker that he thinks he is. So you expected, and I know he expected, to have a jump, to make a jump in 2020, and then to not play at all, he comes back this year, and I think there's question marks from a health standpoint, from a performance standpoint. And then the Browns obviously drafted Greg Newsom II with the number 26 pick, and now Greedy is competing for that starting job. And I think if you were, you know, handicapping the situation, you would say that he's not the favorite to start. So it's a different position for Greedy to come back to. And he was good about that. He said he welcomed Greg Newsom in. He embraced him. He's a good kid. You know, they're teammates now. They're like family. Um, so it, it'll just be interesting to see how that battle plays out in training camp. And assuming Greedy's healthy, whether or not he wins the job, all of a sudden the Browns have some depth at a vitally important position, which they didn't have nearly enough depth at corner last year. Yeah, that is great to hear that, uh, you know, he feels that way about Newsom because that, that's not always the case. And, and it seems like it, it seems pretty um, legit when you, when you hear him say it. Mm-hmm. And w- what an awesome thing that would be for the Browns to have both of these guys come in 
and live up to the expectations that we have, because that, like you said, is a position you need multiple guys, especially with the injury history the Browns have there at that position. Yeah, there's no doubt. And when you, you know, when you look at the depth chart, right, you got Denzel Ward on one side and, you know, Denzel was there yesterday, made a couple of pass breakups. You know, there's not a whole lot of full speed stuff going on, but it felt like at the end of practice, they did a little full, I don't, I think it was seven on seven and Denzel made back-to-back breakups. Um, so you have him on one side, you have Greedy or Greg Newsom on the other side. You got Troy Hill in the nickel. And I think if you say, okay, how about the future? In Troy Hill, you know, he signed a long-term deal, but there's a lot of voidable years, so it's really a short-term contract. Um, you know, is there a scenario in which Greg Newsom can slide into the nickel? You know, maybe he starts outside, slides into the nickel um, in 2022. And if Greedy shows you enough, you have Denzel and Greedy and Greg Newsom as your top three that are on the field a bunch. Um, I, I just think that's an option because I don't think Denzel or – I for sure greedy doesn't strike me as a nickel player. I think he's too long. Um, you know, he's six, two, he just doesn't strike me as a nickel type player. But if you start looking at kind of options for Joe Woods, your coordinator, um, if greedy shows, Hey, I can really start in this league. Then, then you really have a lot of depth and you have options and you can do a lot from that position which I mentioned, they just didn't have last year, right? It was Denzel Ward. It was an older Terrence Mitchell, who I thought played way above my expectations. And then there was a big fall off after that. So if Greedy's back to the player that the Browns thought he was when they drafted him out of LSU, then all of a sudden you go, you take a position of weakness and it's a position of strength as long as Greg Newsom II lives up to who you thought he was when you drafted him at number 26. Scott, with the Delpit injury last year, where does that rank among the disappointments of last year's team? Because there weren't a lot. Right. Where does that kind of rank? And uh, it was, you know, you got to see him again, you mentioned yesterday. Yeah, that's that's a good question, Chad. I would say it's it's pretty near the top. You know, you got the Odell injury. Um, there's a couple of other minor things. But, yeah, and, and I think the Delpit injury was so disappointing for a variety of reasons. I mean, he's your, you know, second round draft pick. Um, you're expecting a lot out of him. Obviously you never get to see him. It's a huge blow, but from a macro perspective, Joe Woods, the coordinator was counting on Delpit to be a playmaker in that back half of the defense, because that's what he wants and needs out of his safeties. And he was going to use Delpit and, you know, Andrew Sandejo is kind of that third guy. And instead, Sandejo has to play a bunch. Carl Joseph's playing a bunch. They trade for Ronnie Harrison, who wants up being the best of the bunch last year at safety. So you just never got to see, not only did you never get to see Grant Delpit, you never got to see Joe Woods truly play the type of defense he wants to play. And so much is predicated on the safeties, which is why, um, in the offseason, they go and pay John Johnson III a bunch of money. And, you know, you have Grant Delpit coming back and Ronnie Harrison's coming back. So, uh, you know, I, I think drafting Delpit where they did and then signing John Johnson III for the type of money that the Browns did really drives home the point that Joe Woods wants and needs playmaking safeties. 
And he was unable to do that last year. And that's because Grant Delpit wasn't out there. So, you know, we talked to John Johnson, the third yesterday, he said, it's a little too early to say exactly how he and Delpit and Harrison are going to be used together. But he thinks once you get to the games, it's going to be exotic and try to confuse opposing <laughs> offenses, right? Cause you get three safeties and how many, you know, you maybe you play three corners, you'll play one linebacker. You could play, you know, there's just so many variations you can do with three safeties you trust, with four corners you trust, with the number of linebackers they have, including, you know, Jeremiah Wusu Karamara. So, you know, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how Woods winds up using these guys, who's on the field, when, how many times it's three safeties out there. But a lot of that is predicated on Grant Delpit being healthy and that was the first time I got to see him practice was yesterday since again, it was August 24th is the same day greedy got hurt is when Delpit's Achilles ruptured. So it was good to see him out there. You know, you saw him backpedaling, you saw him doing drills. Um, greedy said he looks ready to go. I know that they're going to be careful with him, but the goal is still hundred percent at the start of training camp. And it feels like that's where he's headed. So, you know, I think that's exciting. I think without Delpit, yeah, you could go with, John Johnson the third and Ronnie Harrison and that's two quality safeties, but it would still limit what what Woods wants to do. And you know we've seen Joe Woods for a year, but I feel like we really haven't seen him for a year because he was never he was never able to go into the playbook he wanted to go into. So one thing with OTAs is you get to see the guys on the field. What do you really get to see? I mean, you know that's debatable, right? Right. And um, the other thing is you get to talk to a couple guys. So. Yesterday on the menu, it was uh, Greedy, Johnson, and Stefanski, right? It was yep. those three? Yep. Okay, so we've pretty much hammered home Greedy and, and Johnson. Uh, but one thing, you know, and I got to tell you, and if anyone's uh, not following you on Twitter, they should be. I'm guessing most people <laughs> listening on this are following you. Listen, if you're a Browns fan and you want all of the info, Petrax got it for you, no doubt. And I wouldn't have known this had I not seen it on your Twitter, and I follow you, obviously. But I thought it was interesting. Uh, I think it was last week we may have talked about it. Or I, we knew that uh, there's two players still not signed, right, from the rookies. Yeah. Is that, yeah. Is that right? Okay. So two players, and uh, one of those is Newsom, and he didn't have an agent, but now he has an agent. He does. Yeah. He signed. He originally signed with CAA, um, which is a big-time agency. They, you know, they also rep actors and actresses, um, but they have a sports division. And it's weird that before he signs his rookie contract that he would change agents. So I don't know if it was a personality conflict. I don't know if he got around some guys in the NFL and said, Hey, you should look into Drew Rosenhaus. Um, but the announcement comes this morning from Drew Rosenhaus on Twitter that Greg Newsom is signed with Rosenhaus sports agency. Um, you know, we all know Drew Rosenhaus, right? He's a big time agent. He's probably the biggest agent in the NFL, if not the biggest, one of the top two or three. Um, so, it, it, you know, I guess it makes sense. Well, as soon as I knew that I heard that Greg had left CAA, I immediately thought Drew Rosenhaus, just because I think playing the odds would put him with Drew Rosenhaus. So I, I wound up being right about that. Um, but, you know, Drew's got a bunch of clients. He's had a bunch of clients with the Browns. He's got a good working relationship with the Browns. Um, you know, and this really doesn't mean anything for the rookie contract because the 
collective bargaining agreement slots the rookie pay scale. So there's a, a range for each position. So it's number 26, where Greg Newsom was picked, there's a range of what the contract can be. So there's not a whole lot of negotiations there. You know, there's a couple of minor, um, minor clauses that teams and agents can fight over, but um, there's no risk of a holdout or anything like that. It's just, it's interesting that he would have made that change. You know, maybe part of it is kind of like an endorsement thing. He thinks Drew can help him get maybe better endorsements. Maybe he's already thinking about that second contract where, you know, the agent and the player have more leverage and can work out bigger money. Um, but yeah, so he landed there and I would expect, you know, I would expect Greg Newsom to sign his rookie deal, you know, probably before I would expect before the end of minicamp next week. Um, and the same with Anthony Schwartz, the third round receiver out of Auburn. Also, we saw could get to the quarter case Keenum. That's what yeah. I wanted to bring up case Keenum. He was there before we put an end to the OTAs. Uh, so any, any, anything with Keenum that jumps out to you? Well, I, you know, I, I do think it's interesting that he's here rather than Austin. I, I want to say that he was, that he worked out in Austin with Baker in the guys last year when Baker hosted players. Um, I could be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure he was um, now who knows. I mean, case could have, kids in school and that's why he's in Berea. Um, you know, there's a million personal reasons why guys are in and out of town versus working out somewhere else. Um, it should just fit his schedule to be here. Um, or it could be, Hey, I wanted to be around the coaches before we got to mini camp. I wanted to run through them some things, you know, he got the reps yesterday where Baker probably would have gotten them. And as a veteran guy who didn't get many reps at all last year, maybe that's important to him. Um, but it was Scott, interesting. Did you, did you tweet this or, or did I see this somewhere else that part of him being there was Stefanski, you know, is helping him out by having another arm there to throw to, you know, for practice. Yeah. I, I did not tweet that. Um, I don't know how big a factor that is, you know, Kyle Aletta probably could have made the throws. Um, but, I, but, you know, obviously you go through these practices and you want more than one arm. So I'm sure that did help, um, help the coaches run practice like they wanted it to run, um, you know, my guess is it's more case wants to get some reps in the offense. And he was able to do that yesterday. And I know last week we talked about, we're going to talk about whether case Keenum as a backup quarterback, right? Yes. And, yeah. And we don't have to spend a ton of time on it, but I've, I've thought about it a lot since last week. And I, I think it was Chris Sims from NBC sports. Um, and he ranked his quarterbacks in the league and he had Keenum. I want to say 40th. And so if you got 32 teams, does that make him a top 10 backup? And I would say yes. And, you know, I don't think it's interesting. If, if you said Case Keenum has to start all 17 games this year, are the Browns a Super Bowl contender? I would say no. If you needed him to start four games because Baker pulled a hamstring, I'm okay with that. And I, I like Case Keenum in that role better than I like a lot of a lot of backups across the league. And all you have to do is flash back to that year he was in Minnesota and they had a quarterback injury and he led him to the NFC championship game. And obviously it wasn't all him, but he stepped in. I think he went 11 and two. And if you can do that in this league once, 
I think that gives not only Case Keenum, but I think it gives the coaching staff and his teammates the confidence that if you need him to win a game, and maybe that game is a big game. Maybe it's a playoff game. He's done it before. And obviously you'd want, you'd prefer Baker to be in there. And if you said Case Keenum was a starter, you'd be looking to upgrade that position. But I, I think, you know, maybe he's the perfect guy to be a backup for this team. He knows Stefanski. He knows Stefanski's system. That's one of the reasons they brought him in a year ago. And, but I don't think it's only as a teacher slash mentor to Baker. I think from a performance aspect, he's the type of guy you want in a backup quarterback. Yeah, so that's exactly the conversation I wanted to have with you. Is I, I was just thinking about that the other day, and was, that's why I brought it up last week. I'm like, boy, could this whole season go off the tracks and be ruined if Baker got hurt? So you, you really summed it up well. But I wonder, you know, you go back to when the Eagles won the Super Bowl, a lot of people feel they won the Super Bowl because of Carson Wentz. I mean, he's the one who got him there, right? But Nick Foles is the one who won those playoff games and ultimately won the Super Bowl, right? So yeah. could you see a scenario where the Browns could be deep enough? And if let's say, and I don't want to, obviously I don't want to like, uh, you know, knock on wood here, but you know, you got to look at the scenario where is, could he be a quarterback that could step up in a playoff run and still guide you to the Super Bowl? Yeah. It, it's interesting because obviously we're having these Super Bowl discussions and that's where the Browns are now. And that's where their roster is. So I have thought a lot about this, Dave, and, and in Nick Foles is a perfect example because when I, you know, when you think of Super Bowl champions, you go to quarterback, right? It's Tom Brady, and he's won six. And you go to, um, I think it's six. <laughs> you go to Patrick Mahomes, right? And he led the Chiefs to the Super Bowl um, two years ago, and he led them back last year, and obviously they didn't finish. But your head goes to those types of players: Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, um, you know, Patrick Mahomes, the, the guys that win the Super Bowls and the best quarterbacks in the league. But there's also the Nick Foles of the world win Super Bowls. And, you know, Eli Manning, who's probably going to the Hall of Fame, but he's probably going to the Hall of Fame because he won two Super Bowls. You know, he was not, I don't think he was an elite, elite quarterback, but he was able to win two Super Bowls. My point is, I think it's easier to win a Super Bowl if you have that elite quarterback that carries you. But you can, and maybe Baker is that guy, right? We haven't seen him play like a top five quarterback, but he was the number one overall pick. Maybe he becomes that guy, and that makes everything so much easier for the Browns. But if he's not, you can still win. And whether that's Baker playing like a top 15 quarterback and he just gets enough support, right? The Browns have an unbelievable pass rush. They have, you know, a great defense. They run the ball like crazy and Baker makes enough plays, and you can win a Super Bowl that way? Or do you win it with a backup quarterback like Nick Foles? And when I think of how the Eagles beat the Patriots that year, it was because Foles played great, obviously. But they had a big-time defense and a big yeah. pass rush, right? And I think of the front four. And the Eagles had a dominant front four that year, and they were able to get a bunch of pressure on Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. And when you look at the way the Giants beat the Patriots in those two Super Bowls, it was because they had a dominant pass rush out of their front four. So then I start to flash forward. Okay, well, you got Miles Garrett. You got Jadavion Clowney. You got Tacharis McKinley. You got Malik Jackson, right? You got Jordan Elliott. And you go, okay, 
can the Browns get there where you say, okay, this defense, the pass rush is dominant and it can take the best quarterbacks in the game, the Tom Brady's and the Patrick Mahomes and the Lamar Jackson's and the Josh Allen's and wreak havoc where they're not at the top of their game and let the Browns, the rest of the team, figure out a way to win. And, and I, th- I don't think we can answer that question yet. We haven't seen Jadavion Clowney on the field, or McKinley on the field yet. Uh, sure. We know what Miles Garrett can do. But I can't. I guess it's a long way of saying I can envision a scenario where the roster the Browns have is good enough to support whether it's Baker not playing at his best or Case Keenum in a backup role. I can envision a scenario where the Browns can still win games. And I can, can still win playoff games. And mm-hmm. if you look at what Case Keenum did in that Minnesota, the run with Minnesota, I would put that together and say, yes, if needed, I can see Case Keenum with this roster doing what Nick Foles did. Now, you know, there's a lot of ifs and ands and could haves, but I don't, I don't think it's crazy to put that together. That's wow, good in here. I think Brady's got seven now, doesn't he? I think he does. Yeah, I think I, I think I cheated him one. Yeah, you cheated him one. Um, I'll let him know. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of that guy, boy, I'll tell you what, and I don't want to dive off course here, but my buddy it, like looked into his diet and like how he treats his body and everything. It's incredible. Uh, if, if you're out there listening, just Google Tom Brady and his, his health and diet, Scott. It's, it's unbelievable. So you you don't think he had the couple of donut holes and the big glass of chocolate milk that I had when I go woke up this morning, Chad? <laughs> no, I don't think he's on the pet track diet. Not... <laughs> Good, that's uh, probably a wise but, move for Tom. Yeah, the pet track pebbles, right? <laughs> if we flash back to like week one or two. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, before we go, uh, awesome stuff. The uh, other news of the week: the uh, preseason schedule. We found out the times, and let me run those three here real quick. Uh, August 14th at the Jags, so Urban Meyer. Uh, that is a 7 p.m. game on the road. Then August 22nd, home against the Giants, a 1 p.m. start. And then August 29th, you are looking at um, at Atlanta, NBC on yep. Channel 3, WKYC, 8 p.m., Sunday Night Football. Cheap plug there for my uh, employer. But uh, the thing that stands out to me, I don't ever remember a game at 1 o'clock on a Sunday. No, me neither. Um, yeah, I, to me, you know, the preseason is a preseason, right? And you get excited for it, and then, you know, after about a quarter, you're like, oh, this is, you know, it's preseason football. But having said that, I do think there's something to get excited might be too strong, but something to hang your hat on for each of the games. And it's the debut of Trevor Lawrence and Urban Meyer in Jacksonville. It's week two, it's the Giants. And like you said, it's a rare, it's a rare one o'clock Sunday start. Um, but you also have, and, and Stefanski announced this yesterday, the Browns are going to practice with the Giants twice before that game. So, you know, I know that Kevin Stefanski really values joint practices. He feels like you get a different look at a scheme, you get a different scheme to practice against. The intensity goes up. Um, he was going to do it against the Packers last year before everything got canceled. So we'll have the Giants in town. We'll get to watch those practices. Now, maybe you don't see the starters play as much in that game because they'll have practiced against the Giants for a couple of days. 
but it adds some juice that they're going to be in town for these joint practices. And then they play the only home game of the preseason. And then what looks like it'll be the dress rehearsal, that third game, Stefanski sounded like he didn't want to make a, a blanket decision, but sounded like he'll treat the third preseason game, which is a finale this year, like the third preseason game always, which is kind of that dress rehearsal. You play your starters more and it's prime time Sunday night on national TV. So I, I think there's some excitement to that for sure. And then you get to two weeks off before the regular season. So I think preseason will be feel a little bit different this year, but there's a reason to tune into all three games, which in the past, I'm not sure there always was. That's true. No doubt. The changes, and we talked about this with the preseason, just to remind everyone, there's three games now instead of four because you have an added game in the regular season and the roster cuts come earlier than before. Just a reminder. Yeah, they come two days after that, August 31st. So it's two days after the preseason finale. And then, like I said, there's like two weeks then of ramping up to that opener against the Chiefs. So, you know, we, you always kind of ramped up anyway, but you had that kind of nuisance of a fourth preseason game in the middle that, you know, took away from practice time because you had to prepare and you couldn't practice the day after the game. So now I think the coaches will look forward to just putting their head down and say, okay, we got two weeks to go get ready for Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. And, and I think the coaches will like that. Well, you make a great point. That This could be a rare preseason where you're actually excited about some things because you're right, boy, I'll tell you, it gets dull a lot of times in the past. So that, that's something to look forward to, and everyone's excited about that. So, Scott, before we put a wrap up here, I think for me anyway, uh, just looking ahead now, you have a big softball game on Saturday and then mini camp next week. Yeah, you're right. Um, Jarvis Landry, charity softball game in Eastlake on Saturday. Odell's going to be there. Um, Baker's going to be there. Miles Garrett's going to be there. Kareem Hunt. So I don't know who of these players we'll get to talk to, um, but we'll get to see at least run around. I, I know we'll get to talk to Jarvis. We'll get to talk to some other guys. Um, it'll be good to see them kind of all in the same place. You know, and that leads right into minicamp next week, which is Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Um, a lot of football action. We'll be out there for all three days. Um, you know, I, I, like I said, I don't think there'll be hardcore practices, but I think they'll probably increase a little bit in what they get done as you get later in the week. Um, and, and it'll just be good to see, you know, all 90 guys on the field for the first time. And then it really whets your appetite for, training camp and I know fans will be just you know itching for training camp to start just because not I mean every year we they are and we are but with the expectations this year um you know July 27th probably can't come fast enough and again that's mandatory correct mini camp yeah yeah mandatory mini camp so I'd be stunned if everybody isn't there I have no reason to think that everybody won't be there um you know, and you see Baker thrown to the guys. Now, I, you know, I don't know how much Odell will do. He looks great when you see the social media video. So I think that's a question of where is he in this ACL rehab? Is he 100% now? Do they ease him back? You know, I expect him to ease him back. Um, will he be 100% at the start of training camp? That's something, you know, we haven't talked to Odell since the injury, but it seems like it's trending in that direction. Um, so, yeah, it'll be good to if, whether we talk to Odell at the softball game or next week. Uh, I'm interested to hear 
um, where he is in the rehab and then, you know, how he dealt with that injury because he'd been playing well last year, right? We saw him struggle the year before when he dealt with that core muscle injury the whole time, the whole season. And, and last year, I just keep flashing back to what he did in that Dallas game. You know, I know, you know, and I don't want to get, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole of are they better off without him or not. Um, but I just go back to that Dallas game and he won the Dallas game for the Browns. And that lasts in my mind. And I think it lasts in Kevin Stefanski's mind is, Hey, we have this type of player and this type of weapon. He changes things. And if you got a, an Odell Beckham Jr. at hundred percent all season, I, I think he's capable of doing great things. Right. And I don't want to jump down that hole yet either. Cause we, uh, I think we've talked enough and we'll talk more about this as the uh, weeks go on, but let's not forget how much better Baker was after he got hurt. I'm sorry. I just right. got to throw it out there. Yeah, I mean. no, we'll, we'll hit that. Yeah, we, we can hit that later, but it's a fascinating discussion, but I just can't get away from, I, I just think they're better off with Odell. I just think he's that good a player. So, yeah. All right. Uh, besides Odell, last thing, top storyline you'll be looking at next week that, uh, We'll definitely be talking about. Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, it's, I think, I think Baker, um, just because he's a quarterback, we haven't seen him throw in a long time. Um, how he's doing, you know, we'll ask him about the contract extension. Is there, has there been any progress made there? Um, I doubt that he'll, and his answer will change at all. But, you know, that's something in the forefront of everybody's mind. Um, you know, and then I think. Jadavian Clowney and Tack McKinley, right? We talk about two big free agent signings at a huge, hugely important position. And I've never seen those guys in a Browns uniform. So seeing that front four, seeing it'll probably be the first time, and it's not, nothing will be set in stone, but it'll be the first time if everybody's there, you get kind of that initial glimpse at the initial depth chart, right? Who's lining up where, which linebackers are with the first unit um, in Part of that is Clowney and McKinley being back as part of that um, defensive rotation. All right. Look forward to it. Mini camp and then a nice little uh, break before training camp. So that's it for me, Scott, man. Always fun talking Browns with you. Steve, I appreciate it so much, buddy. And yeah, we'll do this next week. I don't know if we'll do it in the middle of camp or maybe we'll wait till mini camp's over and try to squeeze in a Friday um, podcast just so we can reflect on the whole week. Um, but yeah, I appreciate your time. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, we'll be back again next week. And this is Scott Patrick for the Brown Zone Zone Coverage Podcast. Thanks a lot.